episode five of the Prolific Christian Writer Podcast. Today we talk to David Ramos about writing 16 books and getting 35,000 downloads in only one week. You don't want to miss this one. Welcome to the Prolific Christian Writer Podcast, where we believe you can change the world with your words. Follow an indie author and pastor and his guests as they share inspiration, tips, and advice on how you can honor Christ and change the world by writing fast, writing often, and writing well. I'm your host, Tian Doan. Now let's get on with today's show. Well, today I have the privilege of talking with David Ramos. Let me give you a little uh, introduction to who David is. David Ramos is a Christian author who, lo- who is in love with the truths found in the Scripture. He holds a bachelor's degree in classical and medieval studies. That sounds kind of interesting. Uh, <laughs> a master's of uh, arts in biblical studies. He's currently completing a postgraduate certificate at Princeton Seminary. And uh, over the last five years, he's published over half a million words across nearly 100 publications and blogs. He's written 13 books that have reached over 100,000 readers, and that's opened the doors for him to speak at churches and universities across the country. And the coolest thing is he's done all this, uh, mostly being self-published and as an independent. So uh, welcome, David. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So did I miss anything? What I miss? What, what else should we know about you? Um, that, that covered a lot. It sounds impressive when you put it all together <laughs> in a short paragraph. So, um, so but, David, you're in Cleveland right now, right? Yes, Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, I, it's very I, I, cold I, I, here right now. It is, huh? I yeah. read your, uh, your, your bio. It says that uh, you are a Brooklyn native. Is that right? Yep, yep. Pretty much born and raised here my entire life. I, I married a Southern Belle. Uh, who's from Georgia, so I don't think I'll be here forever, but this is where we've stationed ourselves for now. Okay. Uh, are you are you uh, Puerto Rican? Yes. Uh, yeah. Both my parents are from Puerto Rico, so I'm uh, you know, pretty much first generation. So what, what uh, all the stuff going on in Puerto Rico with the, the hurricane and, and uh, uh, what have you heard? Uh, you still have fi- family down there? Um, so uh, it was actually an answer to prayer. My family my grandparents still lived down there up until the end of this July. Um, so they moved to Florida to my uncle's house literally weeks before their house got washed away. Um, so it was, yeah, it's terrifying because we still have family friends and stuff who are down there. Um, you know, just like the news says, they're still without electricity. They're still having trouble getting clean water. Like it's a completely different world down there now. But as far as my immediate family, they're all safe and very thankful to say that. That's really that's really awesome. Uh, so you've made your home in Cleveland now. So that must mean you are a depressed uh, Cleveland sports fan. Right. <laughs> as much as I can be these days, I just uh, I do have some jerseys, and we do occasionally put the channel on those slaughter fests that we call sports. But <laughs> yeah, well, the uh, we could relate a little bit. Last year, your Cleveland Indians lost Game Seven of the World mm-hmm. Series, and just a couple of days ago, my Dodgers just blew Game Seven at home and just broke my heart. So I, I'm sorry I feel to hear you. that. Yeah. Kyrie Irving leaving uh, the Cavs and and all that. It's just... (laughs) It's a mess. That's why I just put my head down and write to to drown out my sorrows. (laughs) 
So you are newly married. Is that correct? You, you um, tell us about your family. Sure. Um, yeah, we just had our two-year wedding anniversary um, in October. Um, my wife's name is Brianna. She is very cool. She's my favorite person. <laughs> she does a lot of work with sexual trauma victims, um, and she also writes and has a blog. Um, and right now, it's just the two of us. No kids yet. That's somewhere down the line. Um, and in my immediate area, my mom and brother still live in the area. So try to keep in touch with them. Um, but that's, that's pretty much it. We have a pretty small tribe right now. So David, tell us, uh, about your upbringing and how that shaped you for what you're doing right now. Sure. So my, I was raised by my mom who was pretty much a single mom the whole time and my grandma who lived with us. And thinking back through what really shaped me, um, both both my mom and my grandma were very religious, very strict. Um, so for better or worse, I grew up in the Christian bubble and kind of repudiated that, pushed it away, and then came back during my college years. Um, but one thing that was instrumental was that our book was always filled with, our house was always filled with different books, um, you know, encyclopedias, science books, magazines. Um, and so from a young age, I saw, you know, the power of words, like how the you could write something and it could change someone's mind or it could communicate something in a way nothing else could. Um, so that was, you know, we grew up not having much because it was just my mom raising us and my grandma lived with us. So, you know, a, a fun weekend out would be going to the library and picking out some more books. That was, you know, kind of a, a highlight for us. So the idea that books were a way out of our present situation was kind of ingrained in me from a young age. So uh, what are you doing now? Are you are you working at a university or, or did you move on? Um, right now I'm still working at a university. Uh, I've been here about four or five years. Uh, so what do you do? Part of, part of my love for books is that I got into working at libraries and eventually college libraries. So I basically run the college library at our local institution. Um, have about 50 employers or so. Um, so it's a, it's a really big group. We have a, a lot of things we offer to students, and it's great being able to be surrounded by books for eight hours a day, too. So that's where I'm at right now. You sound like the biggest nerd ever. That's uh, <laughs> You couldn't ask my wife. It's it's accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm a pretty big nerd myself, so um, I, I did mean I was behind you. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of books behind me. I got my own library here. Maybe you could come and organize it uh, one of these days. Like, <laughs> I don't know how to find things. I'm pretty messy. But uh <laughs> hey, David, tell tell us uh, about uh when and why you started writing. Sure. Um so anyone who might know my writing now knows that I write almost 100% nonfiction books in the realms of Christianity and so on, um, which is polar opposite of what I began writing. Uh, a lot of the books I jumped into were the C.S. Lewis, the Tolkien, the R.A. Salvatore. So I actually wrote a lot of fiction um, in my younger years, probably third, fourth, fifth grade, of a lot of stuff about magic, magical worlds, um, I just really liked that whole world building scenario. And so I wrote probably well into high school years, I wrote fiction. Um, and then something just changed. I, I started taking basically my faith more serious and the 
issues and the questions I had, and I didn't know how to communicate that through fiction. So my writing switched into nonfiction, and it basically just became a place for me to um, brain dump the things that I, the questions I couldn't answer, and the problems I was having, and so on. Not so much in a diary form, but in a way that I had thoughts, I had things to say, and I didn't know how how else to communicate them other than just writing them down. So how many books have you written, and can you tell us a little bit about, about uh, yeah, your books that you have published? Sure. Um, I have written, oh, goodness, I have 13 published right now. I've probably written uh, 16 or 17. Uh, most people know Climbing with Abraham as my first book. That's actually probably my fourth or fifth book um, because I the, I wrote a bunch, and then as you grow as a writer, you look back at the things you've made, and you're like, that's really not up to par anymore. So you take it down, and you just keep working. Um, yeah, so 13 books, all self-published right now. Uh, that may change in the next few years as I kind of think through what my long-term plans are. Um, but yeah, so a bunch of words. Most of them are shorter books, too, so I'm not writing 500-page tomes. Um, that's how I'm able to crank so many out. And your, uh, the majority of your books, uh, it comes in a series of kind of um, character studies of the Old Testament. Is that, is that right? Right, right. Um, my, I, I'm one of those people, I believe the Christian church has not done the best job of teaching on the Old Testament. So I take that upon myself where we just need to make the Old Testament more known and another one of the reasons is because the Old Testament is very big and at parts very boring. So if you move our structure of reading the Bible and of communicating these topics instead of through book by book studies, but instead of doing it by person by person or biographical studies, I feel like that brings people into the story so much faster and they get things out of it because we all, you know, we like watching Netflix series and so on. And that's because we get invested in the characters. And so why can't we apply the same methodology basically to how we study the Bible? I wonder if it, it's your background and in, in, in love for fiction and stories and character, if that uh, has motivated you or translated into what you're writing now. What, what do you think about that? You know what? You're honestly the first person who has ever made that connection. I think it does. I think it probably does because I never, I must have never really truly given up that whole world building and storytelling element. Yeah, that's true. Well, one one of the things like I, I know uh, for the books that I I uh, write, um, when I'm explaining a Bible story, I actually break into. Um, dialogue you know i'll let the characters mm-hmm. like uh, uh i'll uh dramatize that story that bible story into <laughs> into dialogue because it's more interesting that way I, I know i do that because i'm a huge fiction uh reader and i just like dialogue nice. yeah that is awesome yeah. i feel like that's so useful too because it does the same thing it pulls people in in a way that's not like here's things you have to learn or memorize it's just here's a person enter into you know, basically a literary relationship with them. Because the the best stories out there are are the stories in the Bible. They're they're universal stories. It's it's what mm-hmm. always happens. Exactly. Exactly. So tell tell me tell us about uh, why why you write. What's your motivation? 
Like, what what do you hope to accomplish? Uh, this is a great question. Um, and I feel like as a writer, um, our whys kind of transform over time. My my why for writing five years ago is different than my why from now. And I'm I'm expecting five years from now it'll be different again. Um, right now I write because I want to be able to do it full time. That's that's the immediate goal is I want to be a full time Christian writer and I want that to be kind of the mode of how I communicate with the world, the things that I believe God has given me to say. Um, and that's that right there is a second why. I believe that I actually have things to say. I have a you know our callings are all contextual and so uh, i give the example you know god didn't ask abraham to go build an airplane that's that wouldn't have fit his context but then he's he's not going to ask one of us to go back in time and and speak to pharaoh our callings are always contextual so right now he gave me something unique and timely to say and what i'm doing now as you know a uh, independent author writing these sorts of books, it's uniquely helping people who are alive here and now. A hundred years ago, it may have not been as helpful. A hundred years from today, it may not apply the same way, but right here, right now, the things I have to say that God has given me to write, they matter a lot. So one of the, uh, I, I, on the, I think episode one, I talked about my 10 kind of core beliefs of this uh, being a what I call a prolific Christian writer. And, and, and I think number one or two was um, that, you're, that you can change the world with your words. Mm-hmm. And words are actually the most powerful thing that we can offer the world. Um, exactly. So what, what books and what have been your influences? What are things that that have shaped you? What are some books that maybe, you know, you have some books that, that you um, are authors that you want to emulate. It's like, you know, I want to be like like this person, you know. You, you, you have a lot of character studies, so like, I don't know, like, are you inspired by like a Chuck Swindoll or someone that, that writes a lot of these character study books? So like, um, yeah, what books have made a difference in your life? Sure. Yeah, it's, it's funny you bring him up because I definitely have. He When I first started this idea, he was one of the ones, you know, I have most of his books on my shelves um, because I like the idea of what he was doing. Um, I just wanted to do it in a different way because his character studies are still, you know, two to three hundred page books, deeper study, where mine is our shorter devotional, quick, get into the story, get more into the scripture and then out of it. Um, but yeah, definitely his books helped shape the form of my books. Um, in terms of, I guess there's there's books that have shaped every part of me. So uh, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis really shaped how I question my faith and how I think about Christian things. Um, there's a theologian called Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar. He is one of my favorite because of how he just thinks about things differently. You know, most people sit in front of a text and think about it in a typical way. And then he, he just moves a few inches over and says, here's a whole different perspective. And that's what I try to do with my writing. I try to look at it the way most people look at it and then just move over a couple inches and try to see something else. Um, uh, Malcolm Gladwell has been a big influence. He, he, 
always questions assumptions. And that's something I try to do also. He never lets you get away with saying that's how it's always been or this is how it should be. He he wants to dig deeper than that. Um, uh, Ryan Holiday is another author. Just because the amount of research he does for his books, I highly respect that. I try to emulate that in the things I write. Um, and finally, there's an author named David Brooks. And his one of his most recent ones is called The Road to Character. Um, he brings these intellectual concepts and makes them so human. He you know, was a writer for, I think, the New York Times or uh, something in New York. Um, but he, he's able to take these ethereal concepts and make them so concrete. And so th- those are the few of the writers that fill my shelves. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, there, I think there's a commonality on a lot of those uh, authors you mentioned that uh, many of them, uh, maybe except for Lewis in, in some of his books, but many of them are are the researcher slash journalist personality, mm-hmm. and that they don't necessarily show up in their books, their but their ideas, right? And, and uh, what, is that your voice? I mean, have you found your voice? Are you more of a um, researcher, ideas, journalist? Uh, like, yeah, let's talk about how, you know, how you found your voice and if you're, if you're still figuring that out, like your writing style or. Right. I, that's a good question. I definitely would side towards that. Uh, one thing as for voice, I think depending on what you're writing, your voice changes. Um, so for my devotional series, which I've written about seven in that series, um, I definitely know what my voice is within that. When I, when I have a character I want to explain from the Bible, I know the resources I have to pull, and I know the pacing and the structure of what the page is going to look like at the end of that. Um, For some of my other books, which have been uh, related to Bible study, related to topical studies, and so on, um, in that area, I'm still finding my voice because I feel like the topic dictates the way you communicate it. So I just finished a book on purpose that's coming out in December, and for that one, you know, the field of talking about purpose and your calling in life is there's a lot of books on that and there's a lot of uh, hype, I guess, around it. And so for my take, I took a much slower researched. It's it's a very different kind of book when you're coming to it, thinking about purpose. I guarantee you this is not the book you're expecting to read, but you're going to come away with it thinking about purpose in a very different way than most people have taught you to think about it. Um, so, yeah, you're your voice. And one thing is that when I meet with new writers and so on, and they're very concerned about finding their voice before they start. The only way I have found to find my voice is to write, to write a lot of things that are not your voice. You just write and write and write. And then over time, you're going to find things that click, things that make sense, things that come easier to you than others. And you're gonna be like, okay, this is this is my path. This is my voice. Um, the only way to get better as a writer is to keep doing it. And the only way to find your voice as a writer is to keep putting out content. I, I, it sounds like that's uh, what you did on your first uh, three books that you published and then unpublished because you were just kind of swinging at something and, and you know, exactly. you, you finally found it on your fourth book. Exactly. Yeah. I had a whole other series going. Um, I was making sales on them. It was growing, and but I knew that's not 
that wasn't the long-term play. That's not what I wanted to be. And so I took them down and just went in a different direction. And that direction has allowed me to make so much more. But uh, you, you kept in the game and you were growing and you were learning the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, I forgot who, who it was. Uh, maybe it was Austin Cleon. He talks about that. You have to, you have to create in public, you know, you got to put your work mm-hmm. out there and that's how you get better. If you never put your work out there, you, or never finish, you never really grow. Exactly. And, and I know like, you know, you're an author too, so you understand this. The, the bad reviews, they do hurt sometimes. They, you read, you know, you put your heart and soul into something and you put it out there and someone's like, this is horrible. This helped me at all. Like not at all. Um, and it hurts, but then you see the reviews around it and there's three or four or five positive reviews or you get an email that says this thing you wrote, you wrote it just to me and you have to hold on to those. You have to hold on to the fact that what you're doing matters. And if you don't think that what you're writing matters, then the first few bad reviews you get are going to kick you off and not motivate you to keep going. Like you have to have something pulling you that's stronger and bigger and more important than that. That's uh that's hilarious because I just got my first uh, one star review, my first uh, oh. bad review, just like last Welcome. week. <laughs> Welcome to the club, right? Welcome. And uh, the thing that bothered me, and seriously, I've only at this point in my two books have gotten four star and five star, and and it's uh, mainly five stars. But this mm-hmm. one person came in and gave me a one star, and it wasn't even about the book, it, and it made it kind of personal. Because it, it, uh, the person said, uh, like, this author has no idea what he's talking about. And her, uh, the, the premise, it was a girl, I think, uh, uh, was that how can this person claim to know what God wants for our life? And, but the, the book that I wrote was a, was a Bible study. It's like, I'm not mm-hmm. claiming to know. It's a Bible study. So apparently this person doesn't believe that God reveals anything in his will, of his will in, in the Bible. And then she gives me a one star. I was like, well, it's. Oh, my uh, goodness. So I, 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 I didn't know what to do with that. I wanted to, like, I don't know, try to figure out who this person was and, and try to uh, get her to change. But, oh, well, right. that's how the Internet right. for you. <laughs> so, uh yeah, there, there's different ideas on the web on what you should do with one stars. Um, when people have emailed me like negative remarks, I I do reply. I usually reply in a very even headed way and try to figure out, you know, usually their first reaction is something emotional. So I try to go underneath it and be like, OK, it seems like you had a problem with something I said. Can you explain it more? Um, and then usually those people end up like of the four or five negative comments that I've gotten just in this year that emailed me, uh, I dialogue with them and they end up becoming subscribers on my list because they're like, oh, you're not just a hack. You actually think deeply about this stuff. (laughs) Um, There was my favorite one-star review of all time. My books are usually 20, 25,000 words, so pretty short. I had this lady literally write me a 3,000 word email um, (laughs) about how I was promoting an ancient heresy through my writing, like some, I don't even remember the whole thing, but basically broke down my whole book, you know, chapter by chapter on how I was theologically wrong on all these things. Um, and I really respected that. I didn't reply to that because I didn't have, you know, hours and hours to <laughs> fight every one of her claims, but uh, you're going to get some interesting things when you put your work out there. That's for sure. Yeah. 
So let's talk about uh, your writing process, how you get work done. You know, what's your sweet spot? I saw on YouTube that you have a uh, video called "How to Write a Book in Six Steps." So, uh, what's your yeah. writing process? That's good. I should I should pull up those six steps. So I actually give you. You probably don't the follow same it today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I actually do follow that pretty much every. Well, after my fourth or fifth book, I have been following that ever since. Um, just because it works. Um, but let me tell you how I set the scene. Um, so when I write, I have you know a process basically. I always write by a window. Um, window has a tree outside of it no matter where i whether it's at a public library in my house or so on that's just always a part of it um i have a youtube mix um that's a few hours long and that is what i write to i've probably listened to it about three thousand times over the last 10 years it's just always the exact same music every time i sit down to write um and then i always begin my writing process uh, with reading for about 20 minutes um, and then I write and I write about a thousand words an hour. That seems to be like a comfortable pace for me. Um, so I'll write one or two hours straight. Um, and then that's it. And that's, you know, that whole thing is about a two to three hour process. I usually do that in the morning before work, um, because after work, my brain just isn't at that creative place anymore. Um, but that's kind of what the process looks like. So what, what time um, do you get up in the morning? So I work an evening shift from 11 to 8, which gives me more time in the morning than most. Um, but I still – I get up at 6 in the morning. Um, I help my wife do whatever she does before she goes to work. And then from 6.30 to 9.30, that's just work time for me. I get down, sit in front of the computer, look at my outline, and just crank out whatever is on the agenda for that day all the way till 9.30. Then uh, from 9.30 to 10.30, get ready for work, pack everything and then you know, go to work till 8 o'clock at night. Um, and then after work, I don't do anything. I always have to do that creative stuff before work, first thing in the morning. Yeah, uh, I do the exact same thing. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm not a morning person normally, but I train myself because that's just the only time I could get work done. Right, right. Um, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. I, uh, you have written, you're pretty prolific, and do you write, do you outline everything out and you just know what you're going to be writing on uh, for that day? And then, like, do you only work on one project at a time? Like, how, how do you organize your writing? Yeah, so the, this is good. And this gets into that video that you're talking about, um, the how I write a book in six steps. Um, we can link to that in the show notes or however you want. Um, yeah, yeah. The six steps. Um, so when I'm writing a book, the writing process starts months before the book is ever started. Um, I have, I use Evernote um, and I use, you know, I have a, a note or a notebook for each book topic that I'm thinking about. And anytime I have any idea related to that, it goes straight into there. So anytime I hear uh, a podcast, let me uh, Let me ask you a question real quick. Uh, uh, let me yeah. pause. How many uh, ideas, uh, projects, how many folders of future projects do you have right now that's open? Oh gosh! Like just uh, a, uh, rough. It, is it ten? Is it fifty? Oh, it's it's got to be close to a hundred. It's definitely over fifty. It's close to a hundred. Yeah. 
So I have. So yeah. So if Evernote, have, like, if the headquarters of Evernote ever go goes away, you're like done. You're like forget it. I'm never gonna write anything ever again. <laughs> no, I'll figure out something else because these ideas just keep coming. So yeah, <laughs> can't shut okay. down the faucet. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt there. So you say you create a file. You've been researching for a couple months. You throw it all in there. So what do you do mm-hmm. next? Um. Yeah. So then I usually print out all those pages and I organize them. Um, Ryan Holiday actually kind of, I adopted his system. I used to just organize the pieces of paper all over the room. Um, he uses note cards and I find that that's a lot easier because they're smaller. So I basically transferred the ideas from my Evernote notes to individual note cards and then I start them organizing out. them. Yeah, print them yeah. Out. Print out yeah. everything um, uh, because I like You guys can't see this, form. but I'm showing, I'm showing oh. – uh, him, my note cards. This is my stack of the books that I'm currently working on. So nice. I do the same thing, and it's uh, it's helpful, but it's frustrating too because there's so right. <laughs> yeah. So you do note cards. Uh, yes. Do you work on just one project at a time? And you're you, so. Do you it really depends. And then you start something new. When I am, <laughs> so when I am usually writing, it is usually only one project at a time. Unless I am really, really frustrated with it, then I will work on it for half an hour, an hour, and then the rest of the time will be on a project that I want to work on. But usually, 90% of the time, it is only one project at a time. So is it uh, – well, we'll get to that later. I want to talk about, yeah, uh, later on, writer's block and resistance, how you deal with that. But sure. that's uh, that's amazing. What what part of the writing life or the writing process do you love and enjoy the most? Is it the idea creation? Is it the finish? You know, is it the words? Because some people say, you know, I um, I they 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 want to have written, not necessarily mm-hmm. they love to write. So which exactly. part of it do you do you love the most? Enjoy yeah. the most? Well. I can share that sentiment. I, I very much enjoy having written more than the actual writing most of the time. Um, my favorite part of the whole process is the outlining part. I love having an idea and then shaping that idea into a, communi- a communicable form, into something that makes sense, that's illogical. Um, the writing is the most painful part, you know, for pretty much anyone who's a writer. Like, Everything around writing is fun, like the creating, the marketing, the organizing, the coming up with ideas. But then when you actually have to sit down in the chair and crank out words for three hours at a time, uh, that's painful. <laughs> that that can drive you crazy at times. Um, but I love that idea formation at the end. Um, if I can answer like what the worst part of it is, I think that wor- the worst part for me is editing. probably the day after I finish a book, right before editing, when I feel like, this is nothing like I thought it would be. This is like, I just have a, a knot in my stomach like, oh, I can't believe I worked for you know a month or two months and this is what I have. I feel better after the editing process, but never after the finished product. I hate the editing process. It's just <laughs> like, it's like, I do not like it at all. That's the thing that it just, uh, uh, yeah. So... Uh, it saps my, my soul, <laughs> that one right there. Uh, what's, which work of yours, which book right now do you feel like best represents 
who you are and your message. Like, what work are you most most proud of right now? Um, that's a great question. My my favorite book of the Bible is Job, and so I think my book on the book of Job, enduring with Job, um, that's probably my favorite because it was kind of a turning point in my writing. Um, it was the third book in the Testament Hero series. Um, and it's just where I hit a really good rhythm. I, I knew what the book had to be. I knew what I wanted to say, and it just came together really well. And I feel like, yeah, if, if I died tomorrow, I would hope that that book became my legacy more than any of the others. Awesome. Tell us about your self-publishing experience. Uh, it seems like right now there's this huge boom in in the indie world it doesn't have the negative connotation as it once has but but uh just as in everything the christian world is very slow to (laughs) pick up on this Mm -hmm. and uh, christians still don't think that self-publishing is a a thing you know they think it's gonna go away or something Uh, tell us about your self-publishing experience and why do you think this fits in why do you think Christians should get get on board with it? Right. Um, yeah, so a, a few stats to think about. I, I heard it the other day, and I think it's 70 or 75% of all books sold are being sold on Amazon. So just think about that for a minute. That's a huge market. Um, and, and when that's you, physical books, e-books. Every book, every book that's sold is sold on Amazon. Okay, go right. ahead. Right. 70% of it. And so when you think about it in terms of ministry, you know, for we don't like to think about it, but Jesus was a marketer. He he didn't just hide and give his message. He went to where people were and people flocked to him because he made himself available for that. So when you're thinking about how am I going to share the message God has given me to share? Well, you got to think about where the people are. And if they're on Amazon buying books already, then that's where you need to be because, you, you know, I consider this self-publishing work as much a ministry as anything else because I'm working to share the truth about God and his word and I'm putting myself in a position where people can find that message easily. Um, and so, yeah, self-publishing does not have the stigma that most people would associate it nowadays. Most, you know, I have a lot of pastors who buy my books and they don't know that it's not published by one of the big five authors or the big five publishers. All they know is that it's you know a Christian book. It was ranking well. It was ranking right next to these other authors that they know and see on Amazon. And so got a they lot of great something. reviews. Got a lot of great yeah. reviews. Yeah, they don't care about the publisher. All they care is that they get a good end product, and that's what we have to be concerned about. And what? What would you say to a person, you know, they're like, hey, Dave, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm an author. I'm a writer. It's like, well, okay, who's your publisher? It's like, and you say, well, I, I'm a self-published author. And mm-hmm. they say, well, David, when, when are you going to become a real writer? What, what, <laughs> what would you say? How would you respond to that? P- when would people you have become said a real that. writer? Have they? Right. People have said that. And I usually, I usually give them some copies of my books and they're like, oh, this is because – you know, they're not thinking that it's a high quality product, that I have a, a beautiful cover, that I have a well formatted book, that it feels, you know, nice in their hands. Um, so I, I give them the book and that usually shuts them right up. Um, uh, but no, like a writer is someone who writes 
And so if you're writing and you're putting your work out there, you're a writer. And so in my mind, the people who are usually saying that to me are people who have never written anything. And so you, you know, they're not someone who's fighting the battles we're fighting, who's trying to do something with the gift they've been given. And so you have to understand where that message is coming from. And, and people assume that independent authors are lesser quality and they're, because they can't get a publisher interested, that they have to publish it themselves, right? I mean, they just, people assume that. Right, right. And I just, I just heard a podcast today with uh, Hugh Howey, who uh, they were, uh, he's a publisher of, I mean, he's the author of the, the Wool series, and mm-hmm. he turned down a, a multi-million dollar uh, offer to publish it himself. And uh, The Martian was uh, self-published. Ready Player One, self-published. You know, they're both uh, bestsellers made and can be made into movies and all that stuff. You know, so it's, it's, it's a different world uh, today. Um, I want to talk to you about the, the business of, of self-publishing. And I think hopefully I want to encourage this for in the Christian audience uh, because I don't think a lot of Christians are talking about this. Um, that that when you're an independent, independent author, like, you know, every, you know, every author, author, we do the we same, do the same amount, amount of work, get, get, the, get words the words done, done and you get right, you write. But the, but the, uh, the, the your, your independent, independent publisher, publisher, really, really, it's, it's the publishing part, the writing part, writing part, writing part is the same as every author, but it's the publishing part of the So let's talk about that business, business of self-publishing, your experience. Sure. Um, so the self-publishing business part um, has definitely been a learning curve because you go in thinking that you're just going to start writing and people are going to find your books and your message um, and that that's just how it's going to work. But that is not how it works. You have to think about if you want to make any money, if, if you just want to write and put your books out, that's fine. But if you want to make any money actually self-publishing your books, then you have to think about it as a business. You have to think about um, the the end goal of it. So um, there's, a, there's a few things. First of all, you have to think about your book, not just as a book, but as a product. And that shift right there is going to start changing the conversation. Because if you're selling a book, well, then you care deeply about its message and the writing and the content on but if you're thinking about it as a product, then it's not just about what's inside the book. It's about the title. Is that marketable? Is it Does it have search terms embedded in it? The cover, is it beautiful? Is it clickable? Are people going to want to share that around? Um, is the description uh, accurate, but also does it drive people to action? Are you getting um, other magazines or other Christian websites to write short snippets to promote your book? Um, you have to start, you just have to shift your thinking. And as the writer yourself, you have to change and stop thinking of yourself just as a Christian writer. You have to think of yourself as a Christian who writes or, uh, you know, you just have to shift yourself thinking that this is something that can make money because my writing does make money. My writing right now makes, you know, enough to pay my rent, which for better or worse isn't a ton of money, but, you know, it's a lot more than, it's a lot better than working a part-time job making, you know, $100, $200 a week, whereas I can write my books and make much more than that and feel like I'm actually contributing and answering a call that's unique to me. 
So one of the things that I, I've noticed uh, uh, that you've done, that you've written, you've written in a, in a, a series... And let's talk about that as one of the ways to grow it as a business. So like, why? What is the benefit of writing in a series? Especially, I mean, uh, people do this in fiction. They have mm-hmm. multiple books, but you're doing it with nonfiction. Yes. Um, so this was just a risk because I didn't think or know if a nonfiction series would work the same way as a fiction series. And the reason people do series is because once you get people hooked um, in a fiction setting, once you get people hooked on characters, then they want to see what happens. And so the read through rates or how many how many of your initial readers continue to read the entire series is very good. Um, and I wanted to try to do that same thing with a nonfiction Bible study series. Um, and the results have been pretty good. I would say about 20, about 15 to 20% of the people who read Climbing with Abraham will go on at some point to read the rest of the books. Um, and when you think about that, uh, the you know the economics of that, it's very favorable to people who are writing a series because my you know we do lead magnets or we do funnels in online marketing. So Climbing with Abraham is my free book. It, the ebook version is free. Uh, the paperback version is five bucks, so I make almost no money on either of those two items. Um, but I will get several thousand people to read that book every month. And then from those several thousand, a few hundred will go on to read my the rest of the series. So the books on Jacob, Job, David, Esther, Ruth. Um, and so, you know, I'm it's just, yeah, I'm I'm not selling that first book in order to sell books. I'm getting that first book out there so that I can sell five books to that one reader. That makes sense. So, right now, uh, are you? You're not exclusive to uh, uh, Amazon right now, are you? Are you? All I have two books. Oh, I have three books that are wide, so available on every platform, and the other ten are exclusive to Amazon. So the uh, Abraham one, it, that's uh, wide, <laughs> right? Correct. correct. Mm-hmm. And you're you're also giving. Do you give that away for free on your website, or do you uh, um, lead people, redirect people to Amazon to download it from Amazon? Uh, I redirect people to download it from Amazon or because that that's one of the ones that's wide. Um, so they can download it, you know, from Barnes and Noble, iBooks and so on. And then uh, so this is kind of the back end of it. So people get my Climbing with Abraham book. The lead magnet in there, the thing I give away is an exclusive devotional on Joseph that is not available on any other platform. The only way you can get it is by joining my email list. Um, and so that's the thing they get by joining my email list. And then once they're in the email list, they go through an automated series that basically explains who I am, what I do, and offers them the rest of the series at a discount. Um, so, you know, within uh, when everything works right, within four weeks or three weeks of reading my first book, they will have gotten an extra book that is unique or uh exclusive to the email list and then be offered a great discount on the rest of the books. And so the sale through rates have been very good since I've done that the last few months. So your, your book on, uh, on Joseph, was that published at one time uh, available on Amazon that you pulled down or, or was it never uh, put out there? 
Um, it was never put up there. I originally intended to, um, and then I heard, you know, maybe a podcast or something that talked about it, the power of exclusive content. And I was like, okay, this is this is perfect because it's shorter. It's only about 12 or 15 days of reading material. Um, and I know this would be something people want um, because the first few books um, are basically in Genesis. They cover Abraham and Jacob. And then Joseph basically close out the Genesis saga. So people who are invested in the thing they were reading from me, they would definitely want that book. Um, so it, it was a great email to grow my email list. That thing has been tremendous. So right now, where, where do you put your, your lead magnet, your, your deal? Like, do you put it at the front of your book or is mm -hmm. it at the end of the book? Uh, can you explain it for, for people who sure. don't know uh, what, what that's like? Yeah. Um, so in Climbing with Abraham, actually, it's unique because I put it in the front. I put a picture of the cover and a short explanation of what it is. I put it exactly in the middle of the book. Uh, 15 days in, after that, you'll see a one-page thing that says, if you're enjoying this, get this for free. And then at the very end of the book, um, I remind them, I say, hey, thanks for reading this. Please leave a review. And don't forget to get your free copy of Dreaming with Joseph. Um, so in most books, I hit the reader two or three times with a reminder that, hey, this is waiting for you. You just have to go get it. Is that the only book that you put that deal in or do you put that deal in uh, every book that you've published? All right. This is this is great because I have that Dreaming with Joseph, which is another Bible character-based devotion, I have that in every one of the devotional books, um, so in the front and back, uh, because it fits the context, it fits the genre that that is in. In the Bible Habit book, which is more of a tool-based, um, you know, group study sort of thing, I have a toolkit, and that's the lead magnet for that. Um, for this other book that's come out in December, which is um, about purpose that I was saying, uh, it has a completely different lead magnet. It has a five-question quiz to help you get more clarity in, in your life. Um, so when you, if you're doing a lot of different things that are not necessarily right next to each other, like all of my books are thinking about biblical topics, but their genres are different enough where you should shape the lead magnet to suit that need. Like the lead magnet should be a no-brainer for that person after. When they're reading it or when they're done reading your book, it should be like, clearly, this is the next thing I need to do. Um, you don't want to just create one lead magnet and stick it in every single book because it might not fit what that reader was uniquely looking for. So for those people who are not familiar with that term, it, it's, a, it's a marketing term, a lead magnet. How, how would mm -hmm. you just explain that in a, in a simple way? Sure. Um, a lead magnet is anything you give to people for joining your email list, basically. So for so a lead is to, like a lead for a future sale, like you're getting exactly. their email list so that you could uh, contact them later when you have something else that you want to promote. Right. So because for authors, especially for us who are self-published, uh, an email list is the most powerful tool we have because that's direct communication with people who have said, hey, I like your writing. Tell me when you write more. And so offering them a lead magnet basically says, hey, here's something so that in the future when I write more, you'll be the first to know about it. 
And you've been building this uh, mailing list for a little while. And uh, I know I talked to you, you know, uh, several months ago. Uh, and it sounds like you found something that has been working. Um, uh, tell us about your, your email list, your, your, the growth of your email list and how you use it. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I do a bunch of things uh, to experiment and see. Um, the lead magnet, having them front and center on the websites is first and foremost. Um, so my lead magnets have helped me gain grow at the beginning of 2016 um, to maybe two or 300 readers to about 1,200 um, right now as of today. Um, and, you know, those tools, all right, when, when you're thinking about it, you have to think bigger, right? So my books help get people to the lead magnet and the lead magnet gets them to the website so that they can read more of my books. Um, so they're, they're already a fan. They've already, already uh, fan. have two of your books uh, mm -hmm. by the time you get their email. So they're, it's not, you're not spamming people. These are people who like your reading and they're saying, hey, this guy is offering some good stuff. So they're fans already. Exactly. And, you, like, and then from there, my job is to basically get them to like me, <laughs> uh, you know, for better or worse. It's just to say, hey, this is who I am. My, my, um, so when people are in an email or part of a list, um, we talk about an email series. So it's basically automated emails that they receive. Um, and so I have a four-part automated series. And what it does is basically introduce who I am, what I believe, and whether or not you should stay on this list. Um, so some of the things I talk about in that automated series are, you know, about our kind of introductory things to who I am, some of my favorite books, um, some of the theological things that define me for better or worse. And, you know, I have plenty of people who get to the second or third email, read something that is a different than what they believe, and then they just opt out. They unsubscribe because they say, okay, I liked some of what this guy does, but he doesn't exactly click with what I'm looking for, so then I get off. But the people who make it to that fourth email, um, you know, they're pretty much fans for life. They open up everything I send them. They ask good questions. They take the surveys I send them. Um, you know, you're, the, the goal of this is really just to build a community of people who I – I genuinely want to serve them. These people are, a lot of them are church leaders one way or another, um, whether officially or unofficially, they've been in the church environment. They haven't always gotten the education that they wanted or been told the stories in the way they thought they should be told. And now here's an author who kind of shares that sentiment and is helping produce materials that they're proud to share with their um, people in their congregation, the people that they're leading small group studies with. Um, and so I'm giving them the thing that helps them do the thing they want to do. Um, and so to this mutual relationship. And so when you're you know, thinking about growing an email list or growing uh, a readership, you have to think in terms of what what are you doing to help them? What are what is the real felt benefit that they're receiving by reading your books? And if you have it very general, like, oh, well, they're going to enjoy reading about this character or whatever. That's not specific enough. You really, you know, people have so many options on what to read and where to spend their time these days. It has to be clear that by choosing your book, by choosing 
to be a part of what you're doing, they are going to benefit greatly, much more so than choosing anyone else's. And so you have to make that case for yourself because no one else is going to make that case for you. So how often do you send out emails to this list after, like, for example, after the, the four-part automated sequence, how often mm -hmm. do you connect with uh, your, your list? Um, so I connect with them at least once a month. Um, it's usually a, a broader update email. I tell them what I'm working on. I usually send them pictures of what I'm working on um, because I want them to feel like they're a part of the process. Um, you know, I've sent them pictures of my office. I've sent them uh, copies of my notes. I've sent them pictures of me in my writing cave, uh, pictures of me from picking up books from the library that's going to be used to write the next book. Um, you want them to feel like, hey, I'm on this journey with you. So every month I send them at least one email just detailing what's happening, what's going on, what can they look forward to. Um, more than that, when a new book is coming out, I usually always make sure I tell them before when it's coming out, I tell them when it came out and then I remind them afterward, Hey, this came out, don't miss it before, you know, the price goes up or so on and so forth. Cause you, you want a constant communication. Um, you don't, I know plenty of authors who email on a weekly basis and they do great. I don't have that much to share with them, but I want to keep my name and my writing in their minds. So that's why once a month to twice a month, that seems to be the sweet spot for me and my list. Uh, what service do you use? You use MailChimp or MailerLite or what do you use? Yes, um, I use uh, MailChimp for my main email list. Okay. <clears throat> And you, you mentioned that uh, something about discounts, that mm -hmm. when you have a discount, they, they're able to pick up some of your books at discount. Uh, how do you do that? Right. So uh, for the books that are exclusive, well, not even just the ones that are exclusive, I always have discounts for the first week or two that they release. Um, and I always have a discount on my birthday. Um, it just gives them something to look forward to. So my birthday is June 22nd. Um, so every year they know that if there's a book they've been waiting for or they would like to grab a bunch of them at the same time, um, on June 22nd, that's the day to go and buy as much as you can because I always lower the prices on that book or on that day. Um, and then when a book first releases, like I said, I always lower the price usually to 99 cents for the ebook, about five or six bucks for the paperback. Um, my goal there is not really to get any of the revenue. It's just to help the book find its footing in the rankings and in the algorithm. Um, and I, I will say that that's uh, mo most of my books for my email list, um, I give probably 70 to 80% of my books away to my email list. Um, I give them the PDF copy. I send it to them for free, usually, you know, a few weeks ahead of time. Say, here's my book, you know, if you want the actual version that goes on the Kindle, on your Nook, however, um, you can buy it then. Um, but I just want to give this to you, you know, because you're part of what I'm doing. Um, and a lot of people, um, they'll still buy the book. Like they have it in PDF form and whatever, but they want to support what I'm doing and they want it in the form that they can read on their phone or however. Um, and so that's, that's a tactic I've used that a lot of people would not suggest. Um, but I can do that because I'm, I've written a lot too. I'm not writing one book a year and then giving it away for free. I'm writing four to five books a year and giving 
three or four of them away. Um, so that's just something I uniquely do. That's great. Uh, let's. Uh, I, w- I want to ask you about uh, BookBub. Uh, you had some success with that. Um, uh, can yes. you tell people who don't know what BookBub <laughs> is? Uh, can you explain what, what that is? Sure. Um, so BookBub is an online website and email service, basically, that shares great book deals with all of their subscribers. So you can go and let's say you want to read <clears throat> um, historical fiction, Christian nonfiction, and something else. Um, you can get very specific. And so you go to BookBub, you tell them the kind of books you like, and then every day you get an email which includes those kinds of books specifically for you at a discount. Um, and you usually get you know one or two per genre. And you get some amazing books on there for amazing deals, like both independently published and professionally or traditionally published um, for you know $0.99, cents, $1.99. And these... BookBub has a massive audience. Their email list. It's in the millions, list, right? It's in yeah, the millions now. And these are book buyers. They, these are people who love reading. They're always um, – and book, there, there's a lot of other services that, that do what BookBub does, but, but BookBub is the you know, gold star. Uh, they're the, the best service, and they're hard to get – that, that yes. for them to choose you because they're very picky and choosy. And um, I was actually amazed that you got a book bub um, being, a, you know, a an unknown author, a new author without, you know, a whole lot of sales and a whole lot of uh, even even ratings. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Usually they pick these the big name guys. And but you got a book bub. Uh, explain. Uh, how that helped you? I, I think you you got yours at a free. Uh, you were uh, giving right. your way, your book away for free, right? Mm-hmm. You weren't charging at that time. But the, uh, nope. tell us about that. How you got that book, bub, and what that did for you in building your momentum? Sure. Um, so the process is pretty simple. You go to their website. You register as an author. Um, you click basically on the books that are yours, and then you choose to submit one. Um, for promotional activity. And at the bottom of the submission page is usually a comment box and it says comment and then parentheses optional. Um, if you want a book bub, you have to make an amazing argument in that comment box. Um, so what I did for for the one that I landed <clears throat> is I got on their list, you know, probably four or five months ahead of time, and I tracked for four months every single time they had a free book in the Christian inspirational category, because that's the one I wanted to be in. Um, And so I I tracked it every day. I tracked what the book was, um, what the title was, and what the ranking ended up being. Um, And I think in that time, they probably had 11 or 12 titles that were free for Christian inspirational. And so in my comment, I basically told them like, hey, over the last, you know, however, 120 days, these are the free ones you've done in Christian Inspirational. As you can see, your audience benefits because they did it, they ranked so well after this much time. And I believe my book would do just as well, if not better, for these reasons. Da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, my whole argument was probably, I think there's a word limit. I think my argument was about 500 to 600 words. Um, but I spent a lot of time on that. Put it in the comment. And then a week later, I found out I got the 
I got the book bub, which was amazing. And the were book you, bub were you was, one for one? I, like, was, I was one for one. That's, um, that's right incredible because people people yeah. they submit uh, fifty a hundred times and still don't get it. And you're you're you you hit a grand slam on your first at bat. That's amazing. <laughs> I did. I, I have submitted once more since then, and I did not get it. But that's because I wanted to see if my argument didn't have to be as extensive. Um, and I didn't get the second time. So this third time when I submit, I'm going to try and do what I did the first time. Um, but it was amazing. I got so as you know, it was for climbing with Abraham, which was free at the time. And I got um, just about 35,000 downloads that week. And then over the you got to next... stop there. You got to stop there. Let's okay. uh, you gotta digest that. Thirty five thousand uh, downloads that that thirty five thousand people who did not know who you were mm-hmm. uh, came in and downloaded your book. Right. Yes. In mm-hmm. in a week. That's amazing. Yeah. That's it was incredible. Uh, that's that's like if you sell 10,000 books, copies uh, of a Christian book of any Christian book in a year you're on the Christian bestseller list. So in a week yep. you had 35,000 downloads. Amazing. But it was, it was free. You didn't make money off of that. So, and I know BookBub isn't cheap. It's probably like three or $400 for that application. Wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so why was that? Why was that a good thing? <clears throat> so yeah. what if you gave away 35,000 books, if you, you know, if you gave it away, why was that good? So, so how did BookBub help you? All right. Um, because of everything we talked about before for the the lead magnets and so on. So, you know, about 35,000 people bought the free ebook version. Um, but a lot of those people like BookBub is so much more than just a free downloading service. You know, of those 35,000 people um, that first week, about 100, 150 saw the free ebook and said, hey, I want the paperback. So that same week, I sold about 150 paperback copies of that book, and that paid for the promotion at full um, price, right? At, at full, full price. price. Okay. Yeah. Um, what else? And then, and then over time, because of that big boost, um, it helped the algorithm. As you know, like Amazon has a way of ranking books on its own and helping show it. Um, because since then, my book, that free book, has always been in the top thousand free books on Amazon. Um, so I'm still maintaining about three to five thousand downloads a month. And so those people, you know, it's all the percentage game after that. So of those thirty five thousand, you know, maybe one percent joined my email list immediately. So that's three to four hundred people. Did you have the um, Joseph book for free already? Right, exactly. Um, so they came, they read Joseph, and I only had Jacob and Job out at that time. Um, but you know, within, the, my books are usually 30-day devotionals. So within about a month or two months, once people have started actually reading it and getting through, then I started selling you know, a good amount of those next books because they were now in the system of reading my first book, getting on the email, getting the next book. Um, so when you are thinking about doing a big promotion like that, especially a book bub, you have to think about what comes after. What do you want these people to do step three, four, five, six down the road? If you want them to download your book and become a fan, that will happen. Um, but then nothing else will happen because you're you wasting didn't an opportunity, through. right? You're wasting, you're wasting an, opportunity. an opportunity, definitely. So when you if you do get a book bub and you don't have a series, 
that's okay. You have to think about what you want though. If you want to build a short teachable course on the opposite side, if you want them to subscribe to your YouTube channel, you have to have the next actions clearly lined out for them because I guarantee you people will take those actions, but if you don't lay them out, then no one's going to know what you want them to do. That's amazing. Uh, I actually, I think this was our first conversation when I, I we when I saw you on a, uh, a Facebook group. Oh we were yeah, talking about mm-hmm. that, and I was just asking you questions. I just thought that was amazing. And right now, I'm about o for five uh, of of BookBub uh, promote. But of course, I didn't I didn't put in the time of of tracking all those things and all that. So um, I'm gonna have to go back and and start figuring that out I, I it's very inspiring for me so you can uh, do it you. i'll keep an eye out when your book is on there <laughs> um so uh we're want to start wrapping up here um i want to just get into maybe some writing advice like what um to for those people who are out there who are just getting started maybe um you know they have some half finished books or they're thinking about writing maybe they're pastors or maybe they're not but uh what uh you know, let, let's talk to, to, to them and uh, some writing advice. So um, what have been some of the most helpful or least helpful writing advice that you've received? Sure. Um, so starting with the most helpful, um, just this one phrase, have it in your mind. Perfect does not exist. There is no such thing as perfect. If That's good. If, if I were to take one of my books and keep it until I was perfectly happy with what it looked like, I would not have anything on Amazon right now. Um, there's a there's a great YouTube video I watched that talked about this, and he said it was another creator, and he said he never aims for 100% because 100% is different for every different person. So you might have readers who want to read the best grammatically correct book. Um, that's one version of a perfect book, or they may want the most theologically sound book. Um, that's a different version of a hundred percent. Um, what we need to do is not aim for perfect. We need to aim for about 80%. We need to be proud of the work that we're putting out there. We need to put out excellent work, but we have to work quickly and we have to put it out there because the, the perfect just stops us when we when we let the idea of what we want to create stop us from creating like that's the worst thing possible our taste as christian writers um is almost always going to outpace our skill as christian writers and so you have to keep that um you know that conflict in mind that yeah i have a really high standard for the books i want to read and my books aren't quite there yet but they're getting closer every book I write. Um, so that's kind of the best advice. Perfect doesn't exist. As for the least helpful advice, um, and this depends on the type of writer you are, um, but I've heard it stressed a lot, especially in the indie space, is that you need to write every single day. Um, and that is just doesn't work for me. When I tried to do that, um, I would just end up uh, basically burning out um, because the way I'm definitely a batch writer. So when I get an idea in mind for about three to four weeks, I will write every single day, three to four hours, crank it out. But then after that, I'll have, you know, three to four weeks of 
no serious writing. I'll take notes, I'll send emails and so on, but I won't actually do the hard work of creative writing. Uh, that works for me. I think you have to figure out the pacing and the structure that works for you. Um, but yeah, you know, we are all uniquely made and the way we create is going to be just as unique too. So don't think you have to write every single day in order to be a good writer. So with all writers, um, we have this thing that we deal with. They call it uh, resistance or self-doubt or all these different things. Um, how have you experienced resistance or writer's block or, you know, um, and how have you dealt with it? How have you overcome it? Um, yeah, definitely. You face a lot of resistance whenever you're trying to do anything worthwhile. Um, for me, it's, it was just a lot of that, that same thing, seeing my writing and being like, this isn't very good, you know? Um, and then having to work through, okay, I know it's not very good right now, but I know it's going to get better if I keep writing. Um, and there, there is no magic cure for resistance other than doing it anyways. And that's the, that's the thing that I've had to tell myself over and over and over again is, yeah, you, you probably don't feel like doing this. You don't feel like what you're doing is what you want to be doing right now. But this is what you have to do in order to get to where you want to be, in order to create the things you want to create. So you know, for, for me now, it's just a lot of tough love. When I sit down or finish a project and I feel the resistance, it's just like, okay, you don't really have a choice. You want to do this. You feel called to do this. And this is what you have to do. And then I just push myself and I just start. And that starting kind of gets the snowball rolling and it grows and it gets me to be able to fight and just destroy that resistance. So yeah, you, you can give yourself the opportunity to have writer's block. You can't talk yourself into delaying it or so on. Like you just have to tough love yourself and do the work. That's great. That's excellent. Uh, want you to talk to, uh, directly to any, any uh, listeners out there who are just getting started. Uh, what would you like to say to aspiring or new Christian writers to encourage them? Sure. Um, first of all, like, good for you for thinking or taking your calling and what you want to do or what you feel that God has given you to say, taking that seriously, because that is the first step. You have to feel like you are enough, that what God has given you is enough. Um, and then that that after you've gotten to that point, after you feel like, yeah, I can do this, I need to do this, then trust yourself. Your writing, I guarantee you, is not going to come out the way you think it's going to come out. But that's okay. Trust yourself anyways. That's something I wish I did uh, more as a younger writer is just trust myself that, yeah, I'm, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm better than I think I am. And for you too, I guarantee you, you're better than you think you are. That's That's amazing. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. There are so many more things I, I wish we had time to talk about. Like one of the things I wanted to bring up to you um, or talk about and ask you about was uh, your book covers because you you changed your book covers and rebranded everything. And um, mm -hmm. it seems that that helped the momentum. And by the way, your new book, the uh, the one on purpose, 
that mm-hmm. is one of the nicest book covers I've seen. I was like, that's amazing. Like, Thank I, you. I, 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 like that's that uh, is eye catching and is is beautiful. Yellow, it's yellow catches your eye. I love it. But uh, Thank you anyways, so much. <laughs> I um at another co- we we got it. We got to have that conversation later on. I'd love to get uh, your thoughts on on other other things in the writing world. But uh, David, how can uh, people find mo- uh, out more about you? I, I know you have a, a newsletter, some freebies. You're starting this thing called uh, Faith Spring to, to help Christians grow. So tell us about uh, just just who you are, where they can find more about you. So, um, yeah. Absolutely. Um, so if you are interested in my books at all and want kind of a behind the scenes of my process, um, go over to ramosauthor.com. So just my last name, the word author.com. And you'll get on my email list, get some freebies out of it. And, you know, in my monthly newsletters, you'll see some of the process that I actually use. Um, For those of you who are still trying to clarify what you actually want to write and want some kind of guidance on that, um, head over to FaithSpring. It's kind of my online teaching community. And uh, just start at the blog. I I guarantee you're going to find some things that help you there to help you um, kind of find point where you want to go and what you want to do. So those are the two places. What's the uh, uh, website for FaithSpring? Oh, yeah. It's uh, just faithspring.org. Just start right there. It'll tell you everything you need to know. And if you just go to faithspring.org slash blog, um, that's kind of where the real meat of the free stuff is. And you could download uh, his uh, first book, Climbing with Abraham, for free. You could, uh, and on Amazon, sign up for his list. There's a second book, the uh, one on, on Joseph, for free. Thank you, David. This has been very helpful, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Dean. It's been an honor and a privilege to be here. Um, and just, I you know, congratulate you on everything you have done and will do. Thanks for listening today. We hope you found it helpful. If you like the show, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast or by leaving a rating or review. You can connect with me on my website, tndone.net, where I have lots of helpful resources available to you for free. My website is tndone.net. That's spelled T-H-I-E-N-D-O-A-N.net. See you next time. And remember, you can change the world with your words.